Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Spirit of Prophecy podcast. I'm very excited today to have a special guest with me on the program. This is Pastor Obino Ofuebu from the Love Assembly Baptist Church in Montgomeryville, Pennsylvania. I've uh, had him on my other channel before, and he's preached at our church a, f- a couple different times, and a few different times. We always enjoy uh, having him. Definitely a great friend to me and a friend to our church. And so excited to have him on the program today. And we are going to discuss the six seals of Revelation and then uh, some things about the millennial reign. We're going to do a little bit of pondering on some of those uh, things that are uh, we all wonder about and uh, maybe do a little bit of speculation. So so should be an interesting conversation. So uh, to kind of kick things off, you know, Pastor Obi, welcome to the program. And why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself? Thank you, Pastor McMurtry, for having me. Uh, my first time on this particular channel. Um, again, my name is Obi Ofoibu, or Obina Ofoibu. I'm the pastor of Love Assembly Baptist Church, Montgomeryville, PA, a uh, city not too far from Philadelphia itself. Uh, we'll be celebrating five years next April, uh, me being the pastor there. And I'm married to my wife, Chinello, and we have five children. So that's pretty much about me. Um, yeah, let's get into this. All right. So uh, one thing that's interesting about you, if people don't know you, um, you know, you originally were a Church of God pastor, and then you ended up getting saved and ended up becoming a Baptist. And uh, I had the privilege of uh, ordaining you. And uh, definitely, I just saw that was, I think, two years ago. I got a memory on Facebook. Was it two years ago? Uh was it two years? <laughs> I think, well, I just got a memory been, yeah, recently yeah. Uh, about that. But yeah, uh, yeah definitely uh, thankful to have been a part of that. But uh, I'm always curious because I feel like so much of when it comes to eschatology, it's not even necessarily from the Bible, but it's really what camp you're from. A lot of the rhetoric, the terminology and mm-hmm. things we use. And so it's always interesting to me to talk to people from other backgrounds about their beliefs, how they would explain things. But what does the Church of God typically teach about eschatology and the return of Christ? So I used to be a part of the Redeemed Christian Church of God. It's a franchise-type church that was located that, that is located all over the world. So they have branches, a thousand branches or so, all over the world, every continent, basically. But the headquarters is in uh, Nigeria. So uh, it's more of like an African-based church, and it's kind of like a group or a club for Africans because although they are located all over the world is mostly just nigerians that are in the church but having said that they are a pentecostal church and um as pentecostals we're not they're not grounded in doctrine anything goes it's how the holy spirit moves or how the holy spirit leads so they don't they tend to respect uh various views except extreme views so it was very extreme but it has to be really extreme because Pentecostals who believe in, you know, snake, you know, snake pastors, uh, grass eating, things like that. So it has to be really extreme for them not to uh, accept the view. So, um, so what's the question? The question is, what do they believe about eschatology? I, while I was in the church, they believed pre-tribulation tribulation rapture. So pre-trib basically. And that is as official as it gets. You know, there's sprinkles of Zionism there, but... We didn't really understand the pre-trib or Zionism. We just knew that um, the uh, Jews or Israel, they are special in God's sight. 
So, but it's basically pre-treat. Okay. Yeah, I was, and so would you say that you were probably maybe like a lot of Baptists where you never really studied it out for yourself or did you have any strong convictions on this? Oh, I had no strong convictions. I, I didn't study anything <laughs> at all. I was just told uh, and we just went with it. So I believed in the pre-trip as I know now. Uh, I would have said, oh, I don't think we'll be here for God's wrath or God's punishment on the earth. That's what I would have said. And, and if we are here, in fact, okay, so I believe suddenly we'll just disappear, like left behind. And the movies explain more than the church did. Mm. <laughs> so, uh, but that's what I pretty much believe. And I didn't understand the movies anyway. Uh, I believe that we would have a chance, like if you get left behind, you have a chance to be saved. So uh, as long as you don't take the mark of the beast. So that one was right. Don't take the mark of the beast. No matter what you do, don't take the mark of the beast. But once you take that, it's over. But if you don't, then you can be saved by your blood since you didn't use the blood of Jesus Christ and you saved by your blood. I know it's stupid, but I'm just telling you what I believe. <laughs> uh. And um, I thought that the book of Revelation was for those that are left behind. So if you miss the rapture, then look at the Revelation, the book of Revelation and see how you can survive. So I didn't understand the book of Revelation. I wasn't interested in understanding it. I didn't understand the whole Bible, <laughs> but, uh, you know, as an unbeliever, but then I thought I did, but revelation was not for me. You know how you have books for you, not, some not for you. So that was the thought in it. And yes, Israel, they were special, you know, they're God's people. So they'll be saved somehow or something specially set for them. Wasn't really clear. As I said, Pentecostals are not grounded in doctrine. We're thinking prosperity. We're thinking anything goes. At, oh, this pastor comes and preaches uh, deliverance or preaches healing, preaches, you know, that's all they preach about. And we're like, oh, just follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. So I, ha I wasn't really grounded in eschatology at all. I just thought, you know, I, I need to stay righteous enough and not turn my back on Christ so I don't miss heaven. And if I do, then I have to suffer with my blood to go to heaven. That's basically mm. what I thought. Okay. That, yeah. So something that's uh, always been interesting when we've had conversations is, you know, because you aren't from uh, independent fundamental Baptist background, uh, when it comes to a lot of the traditions of independent fundamental Baptists that are traditions and Baptists have got to learn the difference between a doctrine and, and tradition. And so right. when I've, uh, when you've asked me about things that you know, I've just grown up with, you know, and are just second nature to me. It's always been interesting as I try to explain these things, you know, you realize kind of how ridiculous some of it is, for example, yep. you know, um, you know, when I've explained like altar calls, uh, to you, it's just like, you know, and, and it's, it's always funny because like the questions that you would come up with it, you know, it's, um, it was always just very revealing about really how, you know, and I'm going to fence some people with this, but really ridiculous <laughs> some traditions are. When you find yourself explaining this to someone kind of in a state of innocence. And um, and so I guess one thing that I, I don't think we've really talked about this, but, um, yeah, you know, so be, you know, because I'm from that world, anything associated with IFB, I'm used to. Even stuff that I would think is ridiculous, I'm just, mm -hmm. I'm used to it, okay? Um so whenever you, uh, but other people I've talked to, whenever I'm trying to explain to them why people who are pre-trib, Zionist, 
when I'm trying to explain to them why they are not heretics and why they're still good people, people who've never been a part of that world really seem to struggle with that. And so, you know, how do you feel when you hear an independent fundamental Baptist just up there? God's not done with Israel. You know, <laughs> we're not worthy to sign the Jews shoes. I, you know, <laughs> what, you know, I'm used to that. You know, wh mm -hmm. what does that do to you when you hear that kind of stuff? Was it, but maybe what you had, sounds like you might've had some of that in the church of God. Uh, yeah, we had some of that, but I could excuse the fact that they are not saved and they mm -hmm. don't understand the Bible. But having, uh, after I got saved and I read the Bible, uh, many times and, I see them as they're just foolish and stubborn. Or let me say this. I used to see them as foolish and stubborn. I mean, what is not clear with immediately after the tribulation of those days? Let no man deceive you. What is not clear about that? So I tend to not readily receive their teaching and I don't listen to them for edification. It's just for, you know, maybe to learn false doctrines because I had to actually start learning false doctrines. Thanks to your channel too. I, I learned a lot of false doctrines because <laughs> I didn't know false doctrines. I didn't know any doctrine. Mm. <laughs> so I was just prosperity, prosperity. So I had to understand what false doctrines are so I can preach against them. Uh, because just reading the Bible, you can see those things there. And we're supposed to follow the Bible is our final authority. And so I, I just, I used to think of them as foolish and stubborn. Now, as I'm, as I'm exposed to their way of life and seeing that they're not actually, you know, foolish people per se, uh, they actually love the Lord and they're trying to do right. And I now understand the flesh, the bondage of the flesh. You grow up with something, you're used to something. It's just a tradition where you do things is ingrained in them, that doctrine. So with that understanding, I just call them stubborn. You know, I, I don't want to say lazy too, because some of them might have looked into it, but the way their flesh is oriented, the bondage of the flesh, I'm lucky, as I said, not to have been um, ingrained in those kind of doctrines. Uh, I was kind of like a clean slate, per se, studying the word of God and listening to the right people at the right time. Uh, so I, it's an advantage and a disadvantage. You know, we're all coming from different uh, levels. So I just say they're stubborn. Now, the mm. full-blown Zionists that worship the Jews more or less, you know, I still think they're foolish and stubborn. That is stupidity. I mean, that's racism, basically. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in fact, I'm thinking they might not be saved. <laughs> uh, you know, at, at a certain point, I mean, because what makes these people so special? I mean, don't you believe it's by faith? Mm -hmm. So, but those that are just pre-trib, especially if the pastor is not preaching so much about pre-trib, maybe he just throws in things here or there, then I'll just say they're stubborn, maybe lazy, but mm -hmm. most likely stubborn, just want to stay in their clique. Yeah. Well, stubbornness is definitely a huge part of it. Another thing too, and this is one of the reasons, you know, for those watching too, uh, Pastor Obi is going to be one of the speakers at the new Old Paths Conference in Florida in January. And I'm really looking forward to that. And I'm probably, I'm going to be touching on this in my sermon, but, um, you know, Baptists with this, all the things they have right, you know, Unfortunately, they've not done a good job in teaching and they haven't, they haven't learned how to separate the difference between doctrine and tradition and not all traditions are bad, but there's been so much tradition preached as doctrine that, um, and there's been such a push for loyalty to those, you know, traditions and things and to the great men and all that kind of stuff that, uh, preachers, they can't even comprehend you know, going against anything that the previous generation taught them. 
they can't imagine that they could have been in error in any way. And, you know, yep. good people can go into error in, in certain areas. And I believe they definitely did with eschatology and things like that. And so I, I do, I, I, I do believe, you know, many of these people do love the Lord, but I think there's a stubbornness there. I think they, there's a fear of veering yep. off yeah. mm-hmm. what has been called the old paths. And for some, the old paths is about doctrine. For some, the old paths is a, is about traditions and a methodology. Some put the two together. And so it causes a lot of confusion. And one of the things the Baptists get cream for all the time is being shallow on doctrine, sloppy on with their use of the scriptures. And it's just a fact. It's true. It's just typically the people calling them out on it are ditching their King James Bibles, wearing skinny jeans, promoting lasciviousness. And so we do. We need a new generation uh, that are you know, still have their King James Bible, still wear pants that fit and are teaching these things right and calling out the stuff. And so uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that conference. But uh, anyway, enough of that. We want to, we need to get into our subject matter and we're going to talk about the uh, six seals. And obviously when it comes to the seals, I think most people and uh, even pre-tribbers would agree with a lot of what we're going to say about the seals. Now here's where we would veer off from the pre-tribbers is, you know, uh, it's our belief that we will be here for uh, the seals. Um, uh, but I also find it interesting too, and we'll get to it, how they don't say much about the sixth seal, which I think is a really important one. Uh, nobody wants yep. to look too deeply into that seal. And I think we'll understand why as we get going. But uh, you, you, know, you want to start off, tell us a little bit about your beliefs about the seals and what they are. All right, so yes, there are seven seals in total. Uh, the, we're going to be there for the sixth seal, uh, for six of them, the first six of them, uh, which is the tribulation and the great tribulation. Uh, I know there's nothing like the great tribulation, but you know the severe tribulation at the end there. Then the sixth seal basically is the second coming of Christ, the day of the Lord. Uh, so that's what I believe about the seals in general. And the first four, I think that's the beginning of sorrows. And um, yeah, we can go over them one at a time. Yeah. But we will be there as believers. Yeah. So let's go ahead. I can put it up on the screen and sure. uh, we can start out uh, pointing out a couple of things. So first off, it says, and I saw when the lamb opened uh, one of the seals and I heard as it were the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts say, come and see. And I saw and behold a white horse and he that sat on him had a bow and crown was given unto, a crown was given unto him. And he went forth conquering and to conquer. And so, um, you know, the first thing a lot, what a lot of people will do is they will use the fact that Jesus is the one breaking these seals as proof that this is the wrath of God. But at the Mm -hmm. same time, what's actually happening here? He's breaking the seals and he's each with each seal. He's revealing something to John. You know, that's the point. There's, there's nothing in here that indicates Christ is pouring out his wrath on the earth with these things. No, he, what I believe he's got a book, you know, it's like, like he's holding, it's like he's holding a book that's sealed Mm -hmm. up with, with these seven seals. I believe inside the book is where the wrath of God is revealed, but the wrath of God can't be revealed until the seals are all broken off. So as he's breaking off these seals, I think he's showing John you know, 
some things that are to come. Uh, and none of these things are like supernatural. You know, all of this is stuff that's happening on earth. And so um, I believe once he gets to that seventh seal, you know, that's when we see the trumpets and the vials. And then I believe that that book is open and God is now pouring his wrath out. That's my thoughts um, on that. Yeah, I agree with that. So the first one is the white horse, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, This is the Antichrist. He's trying to copy Jesus Christ because Antichrist in place of Jesus Christ. So he's trying to copy Jesus Christ coming on a white horse. And I think that's what the Bible is trying to show here. He has a bow. A bow is a weapon of, of war. And it's kind of symbolical too. When uh, Jonathan uh, loved David and made a covenant with him, he gave him his bow right? So he gave him his bow as a weapon of war. It shows authority because he didn't want to use a sword because it might imp imp imply something else. So he would use the sword in the next uh, horse, I think, in the next seal. So he's there to conquer. And uh, so he's, he'll, I think he'll be some kind of a liberator. This uh, white horse, this antichrist guy, th this leader, because the Bible says in First Thessalonians 5, 3, it says, for when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. So they'll be looking for peace and safety, and they'll do everything for peace and safety. And this uh, conqueror will provide them that peace and safety, then the destruction is going to come, mm -hmm. right? So he's going to be conquering. That means he's going to be winning people to his side and things like that. Now, the Bible exposes more, the Revelation tells us more. He will have an injury and no one will be able to stand, uh, uh, make war with him. And he will come up, he'll recover from a deadly wound, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, so that is the white horse. So he will appear like Christ. Mm -hmm. And Jesus, uh, as you know, a parallel passage is Matthew 24, says, when people say Christ is here, Christ is there, you know, don't believe that. Because when he comes, everyone will know. So that's the first seal. He'll be conquering. He'll be setting up his kingdom, basically. And he'll be winning the hearts of people. Right. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that, you know, the parallel in Matthew 24, where he says, many will come in my name saying, I am Christ and shall mm -hmm. deceive many. And so um, when there does seem to be a theme in Matthew 24, um, we see this in Second Thessalonians 2, where Paul is calling on the church. You know, people will say with Matthew 24, he's talking to the Jews, but Paul said the same thing to the church and he and about not letting anyone deceive them. And so it becomes clear from the words of Jesus, the words of Paul, that they were going to see a man of sin revealed, uh, an individual. And I, I do believe that we will see a day that Christians will be here in a day when we will see the world unite around a man that they believe mm -hmm. is the Christ or the Messiah. And I, let me tell you something. I'm not trying to you know be extreme or anything here, but you know I believe this guy, I believe this man will come out of Israel. I also believe that I have no doubt in my mind that the pro-Israel Baptists will be praising this man like crazy in the beginning. You know, I think if they're saved, when he's declaring himself to be God, they're going to be like, well, time out. But I have no doubt at first. I mean, look at the way they praise Netanyahu right now. And uh, I, I, I have no doubt the Baptists that I follow on Twitter they will praise the Antichrist like crazy when he rises up. But, um, you know, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, he could. 
when you say come out of Israel, he could just be another guy and claim to be Jewish mm-hmm. and become, you know, how it's easy to become Jewish, like identifying these days. So you just claim or identify as a Jew or like, uh, like the Ukraine president, you know, that's someone that he's trying to gather support and power is repre- representing himself more than he is. Uh, even Trump, someone like Trump that the Jews all loved. So to be, to be a very strong, a very powerful conqueror, let's put it that way. And, um, he would just be for the Jews. Then he could, like Constantine, right? Uh, he, he became a Christian, per se. If you can see my fingers. He became a Christian, and, but he was ruling the Roman uh, Universal Church, or the Catholic Church, basically. So he was the head of the church. Uh, so that's how I think the person might be, because, I mean, it, it could be a Jew. I mean, that, mm. again, we're speculating. So he could just be a Jew born from a Jewish family, but he could also be a leader that came from nowhere, small horn that just came out. Yeah. Well, I watched many Baptists when the Ukraine conflict first started, they mm-hmm. were praising Zelensky like crazy. One Baptist pastor literally shared a video. It was this, I don't know if the song was written for this situation, but it was like one of these emotionally moving. It had all the right videos and pictures of Zelensky and I don't remember the name of the song, but it, you know, the line I that it kept saying in there is, can one man save the world? Wow. And, and it was just like, <laughs> and a Baptist preacher shared that video making, making Zelensky look like a, a messianic figure. And I'm like, right. It, 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 and I, and this was real early on. And I remember I watched that video. First thing I did, I was like, I wonder if this Zelensky's Jewish. Looked him up, sure enough. And so then I'm I'm starting to think, man, what if this guy's going to be the Antichrist? You know, what if, you know, what if he ends up defeating Russia, which would shock everyone and Christians would go nuts, you know, with excitement if he did that. And, uh, but, you know, Zelensky seems to be getting revealed as just kind of a worthless fraud and, uh, you know, a perverted freak. And so, uh, but that, that was er early on. I was wondering, Hey, could this be the rise of the Antichrist? Because I, I do, I'm convinced the Baptists I follow on Twitter uh-huh. in, in the early days for sure will praise the Antichrist and be the biggest promoters. And I will be, yep. I will be called anti-Semitic as I will be standing against him in, in the beginning. I, I'm convinced of that. Mm-hmm. But anyway, <laughs> but you know, um, you know, there's a lot of other theories about the seals and, you know, and I, I don't hate anybody that has different views uh, on that. But, you know, there are people who, I believe that these seals have been happening throughout history Uh, and they've got some interesting points. Um, You know, I just, I haven't been able to buy into that yet. There there's many uh, who believe that um, the white horse of the first seal is the rise of Christ's kingdom. They believe it represents Jesus Christ and they'll point out some of the similarities, but you know, my response to that is, well, there's similarities because the antichrist is pretending to be the Christ. You know, but mm-hmm. I just, uh, I don't know. So I've I'm not been able to one, get on board with that. One thing I'll say about that is there's a time given. I know it might not be exact. It might be symbolical. But the woman in Revelation, the woman that's clothed with the sun mm-hmm. and all of that, the woman, she's taken to the wilderness. She was, she's saved by the Lord. And she's taken to the wilderness for three day, uh, three years, three and a half years. So that is the beginning of sorrows. That's when, that's the first seals, right? Mm. The first of six seals, basically, or four seals. Uh, Then the fifth seal starts after 
um, the Antichrist sets up his kingdom and uh, he's given 42 months to reign in that kingdom. So you can see it's kind of uh, showing the shadow of this Daniel 70th week. So I believe there's a, there's a time there and in the midst of the week, right? In the, in, in the middle of that uh, three and a half years, no, in the middle of the seven years. So that's where an image is set up basically because the Antichrist, there's the great tribul the tri the tribulation that is the worst tribulation since the beginning of this world, as the Bible says, as Jesus said in Matthew 24, starts up, he sets up that image and it causes people to worship the image, the mark of the beast, all of that. So having said that, yes, tribulations have been happening and even uh, very bad tribulations, the world wars, all of that. All those have been happening. Believers are still in tribulation. People are still being killed. But when there'll be a war that breaks out in heaven and the devil is sent down and he knows he has a short time, then that kicks off the first seal, right? So that, that's what I believe. And you have a whole bunch of tribulations that would make people think when the actual tribulation starts, like the first seal, the second seal we're going to get into, when it starts, people might just think, oh, it's just another world war. Or it's just another this. And we will, we might think the same, but our eyes will be open looking for the image that is set up. Like we'll be waiting for that Antichrist. So every time we hear of a war and, you know, we look into it, like what's going on here? Is the Antichrist here? Oh, okay, it's, it's just another fake one, mm. you know. But it's still an Antichrist, right? There are many Antichrists in the world, but the Antichrist is the one we're waiting for, the one we're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, uh, and I want to clarify something too, because I've had people asking me about this, you know, you mentioned the image of the beast and all that. Mm -hmm. Um, cause I do believe that the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, the prophet, uh, I do believe it was related to the temple and it happened in 70 AD. However, I believe a fulfillment of that prophecy is going to come in the future through this revealing of the man of sin, him setting up his image. I don't think he has to do it in a temple. I think he might do it in another temple, but there's many prophecies that were given towards a specific time era that did not find fulfillment during that time era. And I believe they will find their fulfillment in the future. And so, um, you know, I don't have a problem when I hear somebody say the abomination of desolation meet when they mean, the desecrating and the destruction of the temple happened in 70 AD. I don't have a problem with that. Um, but I also think you can have that belief and still believe that there's coming a day when people will, it'll be demanded that they worship a beast in his image and that that's in the future and that um, the fulfillment and, and the, there will be a fulfillment of the Daniel prophecy through that. And so I don't want to kind of get into the weeds with all that, but I, I do still believe that these things are coming. I, I haven't been convinced that uh, it all happened in the past. I think similar things happened, but I also believe they did not find fulfillment because there were certain things missing during that time. And so I do still am looking for a future fulfillment. And so I would, I, I'm shying away from calling it dual fulfillment just because I think you can you could say there's really only one actual fulfillment, but I do believe those things were shadows. You know what I'm saying? I I, I don't think they're going to happen twice. I think you could say the first time it was just incomplete, and so uh, the second time that's when it will actually find fulfillment. And and there's a lot of prophecies like that 
that Jesus mm-hmm. fulfilled at his first coming that were kind of repeats of things from the past. I'm going to be talking about some of that uh, for our Wednesday night service uh, tonight as, as a, when we're recording this. And, um, you know, so, so Jesus was the actual fulfillment. Those things, they happened, you know, before, but they the, they weren't complete. Therefore, they weren't fulfilled and they were fulfilled with Christ. Hopefully that makes sense. S- sort of. Yeah, I kind of get where you're coming from. You know, you have, you have the dual fulfillment prophecy. Mm-hmm. You have conditional fulfillment prophecies. It depends on conditions, you know. And I think that might be the reason of the ambiguity ambiguity or the vagueness in Daniel's 70th week because you know that, that's something I was, I've been looking into the prophecy is it it was for this establishment of uh, the physical reign of Christ when he comes the first time mm-hmm. but since Israel did not do their part so the prophecy had to have something in there that will push it to our time to the future mm-hmm. You know, so you think about that. So is it is there conditional fulfillment prophecy there? Then you have the manifold fulfillment, and it's like a two-in-one prophecy. I'll give you an example. Like when God was talking about Satan and he was using the prince of Tyrus, right? In Ezekiel 28. He was talking about Tyrus at the same time, he's talking about Satan, the devil. Right. So it's not prophecy per se, like future events, but how God talks mm-hmm. when he's using the prophets is that he's saying something for now, and at the same time he's talking about something else. Right. And both of them kind of walk together. Jonah in the, in the belly of the whale, he was talking about what he's suffering and he's talking about hell again, talking about what Jesus is going to go through in hell. So some things apply to Jonah, some things clearly don't apply to Jonah. He's just talking about the Lord. Mm-hmm. So you look at uh, Daniel's 70th week and that's how I kind of view it. There are some things that's talking about 70 AD and there's some things talking about the future, right? They don't apply. So 70 AD fulfilled a whole bunch of things uh, and some things that just clearly talking about Jesus Christ. So it's kind of like a manifold fulfillment prophecy where uh, people can look at it and say, oh, it's completely fulfilled. Mm-hmm. But there's some, still some things that apply in the future. Right. Uh, yeah. No, those are good examples. Yeah. And yeah, they shadowed certain things, but their fulfillment, right. yeah, their, the actual fulfillment comes. Yeah. Jo- Jonah's a great example. What everything Jonah went through, like I wouldn't say it fulfilled, but it shadowed Right. What was Jesus Christ was going to do. And then Jesus Christ fulfilled what Jonah's event foreshadowed is I think. Exactly. And so, yeah, I, and so I do, I, I feel like in the futurist world, most people ignore, you know, those, those shadows and all in the preterist world, they ignore the fact that they were shadows and try to make it only that try to make it more symbolic. And it's just like, no, there's going to be a literal fulfillment of this. And so uh, it would just like, it would have been wrong after Isaiah's day when that prophecy was fulfilled of the land being forsaken of both their Kings to claim that there was no future virgin birth coming because even though that prophecy had a fulfillment during that time, it, a virgin didn't literally conceive and bear a son. And, but that did happen 700 years later. And so I think, I think it's very important that both sides recognize both of those things. And right. I, and I, I think that's where you can find harmony, but let's go ahead and start talking. Let's talk about the second seal a little bit. And it says in verse three, and when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, come and see. And there went out another horse that was red and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. And so 
Uh, this is what most people uh, would agree. Uh, they'll call it World War Three. You know, could be World War Four. Well, exactly. <laughs> it, it definitely looks like it definitely looks like a world war that it's talking about. If you ask me. Yeah, it's going to be great wars. People killing themselves. Yeah, peace. Taking away peace. The opposite of peace is war. Right. So you take that away. Red also stands for blood. You know, I'll I'll say that. So there's a lot of bloodshed, and a sword represents killing. You don't use a sword to spank. You use a sword to separate limbs and heads and stuff. So there's going to be a lot of shedding of blood, a lot of killing. So it's world wars. It's pretty straightforward, cut and dry. Yeah. Well, and here's the other thing too. In the preterist world, you know, they will accurately line up. You know, the you have the false Christ, wars, famines, pestilence. But Matthew 24 is all about Jerusalem. Where what we're reading about here in Revelation, this is clearly, this is war on the earth. This isn't just stuff going on in Jerusalem. This is global, what we're seeing take place right here. And so, again, I, I, think, I think the preterists are wrong when they make Revelation 6, you know, when they put it exactly with Matthew 24. I think the futures are wrong when we make Matthew 24 exclusively about future events when Matthew 24 is talking about a local judgment and Revelation is talking about a global judgment. Obviously, you know, we are, we're definitely seeing a pattern here, but this is, I believe, uh, again, fulfillment of these prophecies. I believe, I believe 70 AD was a shadow of what God was going to bring on the whole world one of these days. And so just like, yeah, Jonah's experience foreshadowed Christ's future experience. I believe Jerusalem's experience foreshadowed the world's experience. And so uh, that's why we see the similarities. But this is clearly, yeah, this is world stuff going on here. I think <laughs> yep. everyone will be affected by this. So, and then the third seal, let's go ahead and go to the uh, third seal in verse five. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, come and see. And I beheld a black horse, and he sat on him and had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny. And see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. And obviously that's referring to a famine, which makes sense after uh, war. But here's another thing too, people, I think everyone would agree on. I don't think we should look at like the white horse is like, one thing and then after that the war and then after that the famine i think they're happening simultaneously i think the antichrist uh, goes conquering which is going to include some war you know uh that'll come as a result of that and then a result of this war is going to come so i think there's like some overlap obviously overlap. No, going on overlap. here i agree with overlap as opposed to simultaneously because it looks like he opened all the seals at once so i think he right. opened one and two, but there's overlap. So yeah. even the White House is pretty much going to reign throughout, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, until he sets up his kingdom. So yeah, there's going to be a whole bunch of overlap. I believe that. So the Black Horse, clearly, as you said, I believe is a famine and is a man-made famine. Mm -hmm. I, I think this is something engineered by the devil and his minions, basically, to cause a famine to kill people. Yeah, because there's a lot of killing. You know, the devil has a short time. He's trying mm -hmm. to kill as many people as possible. Believers, unbelievers, you know, unbelievers die, they go to hell. So he has a short time. So he doesn't care about setting up 
uh, false religions and stuff to deceive people. He just wants to kill them. So they go to hell. And you think of Monsanto with their seeds, mm. uh, selling seeds to the farmers. They can intentionally hold back the seeds or because of all the chemicals they're putting on the seeds, it could destroy all the crops and, you know, the engineered seeds can fail. People will be starving. Farmers will not have anything. Uh, th uh, the, the world being starvation. And I think that's why it's called the black horse. If you remember in uh, Lamentations, uh, what's his name? Jeremiah was talking about the Israelites. It says in Lamentations 4, verse 8, it says, their visage is blacker than a, than a coal. They are not known in the streets. Their skin cleaved to their bones. It is withered. It has become like a stick. They that are be slain with the sword are better than they that be slain with hunger. For these pine away, stricken through for want of the fruits of the field. The hands of the pitiful women have sodden their own children. They were their meat in the destruction of the daughter of my people. So it is about Israel, what they were suffering uh, because of the siege put upon them by Babylon. And they were, they were, they were looking black. So that's why it's like the black horse. In fact, in Lamentations 5.10, our skin was black like an oven because of the terrible famine. So because of famine, their skins were black. And it was better. The second seal was better than the, than the, third, uh, than the third seal because the second seal is war. So it's better to be slain with the sword than to go through that kind of famine. They're eating their own and things mm -hmm. like that. So this, these were really bad times. And that's why it's called the black horse. It's farming and starvation, people dying that way. Yeah. Well, and yeah, and so it is. It's obviously something that's getting progressively worse. And so when we get yep. into this fourth seal, and uh, you know, we, we can speculate on a couple things here, but let's go ahead and read it. It says when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked and behold a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was death and hell, followed with him. And power was given unto him over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword. Uh, there's the war with hunger. There's that famine and with death. There's this pestilence and with the beasts of the earth. And so um, I think it's, uh, you know, in, in my opinion, well, while I think that all of this could happen naturally just as a result of all the death and everything like that, I I think some of this will probably be intentional too with, you know, uh, I think, I, I think they'll release viruses and things like that for sure. It, yep. it could all be natural, but I just knowing, you know, the Bill Gates and people like that, that are out there. Um, I think they're going to want to help out and I think they will. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's going to be open season. You see some of the overlap from all the other previous seals. But I think now the resources are getting limited. You know, people are getting desperate. So people will be killing each other. You know, the preppers, they'll be scavenging for preppers and killing them. You know, war-torn areas will have lawlessness because, you know, the government is breaking down. Um, uh, the hunger will be killing people. Wild animals. I mean, God sent wild animals to kill his people when they were in sin. So that can be done too. He might remove that hedge from them. Uh, pestilences, as you said, viruses, different kinds of diseases. Uh, you know, the world suffered from different types of pestilences before technology helped and cleanliness, right? But in war-torn areas, everywhere is dirty. 
there's there's no cleanliness. People are not taking showers and things. So people will be dying of diseases, the crops, different things, animals too, will be mixing with where people are. Uh, earthquakes, I mean, everything will be happening is, as I said, it's open season and this fourth seal, uh, pale horses is, is, as I said, is getting progressively worse. Yeah. Well, and, you know, and so one thing that can be difficult with Revelation 6 is, uh, and with the seals, and one of the reasons too, I don't get mad at people that kind of have like a historicist view where they believe it's been happening throughout history. We get no timeline. Um, no timeline is given for the seals. Um, but at the same time too, um, it would kind of make sense that if all of this was happening within a short time, like if, if you did, if you had that leader pop up, you have the wars, famines, pestilence, all that's pretty natural that people are going to get very desperate. I mean, just look at how mm -hmm. our country got with the threat of a, you know, virus that was supposed to wipe out 20% of us or whatever. Um, uh, I right. mean, you know, what is actually going to happen when not only are people actually dying from pestilence, but starvation as well, they're going to do whatever the government says at that point. And so in my, in my opinion, I do think that this rise of the antichrist and the white horse, and I think these four seals are going to happen within a, uh, three and a half year period, because it does appear, uh, that it's after that three and a half year period that the man of sin is revealed, which is when we know, Hey, it's, it's all about to go down. Cause that's a key right. thing that Jesus pointed out that Paul pointed out. Uh, when you see the abomination of desolation, you know, that man, except that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, all that. Um, and then later, if you, we connect some things in revelation, if we're right on kind of how we're lining things up, I believe, um, it's going to be, at that halfway point when he is going to make war with the saints. And so, uh, which takes us to our fifth seal. And let me go ahead and get this up on the screen. It says, when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar, the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony, which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, um, Holy and, uh, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth. And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. And so in this seal, it's just, again, this isn't a judgment. That's another thing too for people saying the seals are all judgments you know, from God. But it's like, well, wait a minute. All this does is just showing all these martyrs that are under the throne. First off, it's like, how, Lord, how long, O Lord, dost thou not judge? Right. That tells me God wasn't, you know, he wasn't pouring out his wrath yet. Jesus didn't look at them and say, what do you think I've been doing for the last four seals? You know, they're wondering when he is going to judge because I think there was going to be a lot of persecution even within the first, uh, the beginning part of the tribulation. But, um, I, I do think this is just showing a reference because after the revealing of the man of sin, he is, he's going to make war with the saints. And so I think that's what it's revealing. There will be a time of great persecution of great tribulation. And I do, I, I think if we use the words tribulation and great tribulation, the way the Bible does, we have tribulation during the wars, famines, pestilence, 
After that, we have Great Tribulation, which is where he's making war with the saints, where he's purposefully going after us, you know, and then I believe we have the return of Christ in the sixth seal. But what are your thoughts about the martyrs? I'm, I'm on lockstep with you there. Uh, the Antichrist will set up his kingdom uh, and he'll try to make it a religious kind of kingdom, either using religion to control the whole world or he'll just uh, or know that people submit to religion because we're built to worship something. We're built to worship. And if people that say there's no God, they're just fools. You know, someone that is worshiping an idol, at least he knows there's something higher than him that he didn't just appear there. I'm not saying he's right, but I'm just saying how we are. We are built to worship. Constantine knew that and he set up the Roman Catholic Church, right, to control his empire and said one world religion. Like he wanted everyone to have one religion. So that's what the Antichrist is going to do. He's going to pick a religion to unite uh, the people and there have his mark. Uh, at this point, to have a one world religion, world world economy, and that's where the persecution is going to be really bad because of all the wars from the previous seals, all the killings and starvations. Now, it's not like the whole world is suffering this. Remember during the farming, you know, save the, the wine and the oil. Mm -hmm. So like Babylon will still be enjoying. I, I think so. Babylon will still be having good sent to them is until the close to the seventh seal, I think, oh, in the seventh seal, the seventh trumpet, <laughs> that Babylon is destroyed. So, uh, so Babylon, so places of this world, in order to help everybody, is going to have one kingdom, one world economy, one world money system, one world religion, and that is where believers standing for the faith will be targeted. Anyone that is against uh, the one world system will be targeted, mostly believers, because we're contending for the faith, and we don't want to take the mark. Uh, so. That's what I think about this. And many believers will be killed. Many of them will be killed. I think it's going to be a very short period because according to how the Bible describes it, if it's not a short period, everyone will be killed. Uh, every believer, everyone that doesn't have the mark basically will be killed because of the technology and the systems of finding people. It's just like the jab, when they were forcing the jab on people. If that lasted, you know, the intensity of that lasted throughout maybe a year or two, you know, just continue, continue to grow in intensity. People are losing their jobs slowly and things like that for refusing the job. I, I, it's similar to that. That's kind of like set up. That's a shadow. I'm not saying it's going to be as light as that. It's going to be harsher than that. But the, the Antichrist, the system of this world, they are testing these theories, how to control the people and force the people to get a mark. So it's, it's around this time the mark of the beast will be released and believe us to be dying. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, it's all very interesting. And something people need to understand too, when you're reading revelation, so it's not all completely in chronological order. Sometimes it gives like a, a kind of a, uh, overview of certain things. And then in other chapters, it goes back and goes into more details. So yep. here at the fifth seal, we have a reference to the martyrs, but it's not until later when it goes into detail as far as, you know, how, uh, they, are, they are going to be martyred. And so I think we see right. that too. For example, um, you know, Armageddon, uh, for lack of a better term, the battle of the great day of God Almighty. I think you can find it referenced in in certain places in Revelation, but the um, it's not, it doesn't go into great detail there because it's talking about something else. And so later, you know, with the destruction of Babylon, 
all of that. So you don't want to just look at Revelation as something that's just completely chronological. Um, sometimes it's going back and he's having a vision that's given greater detail about a single event. And so right. just kind of uh, something to keep in mind there for people that are watching this. But let's go ahead and go to this uh, sixth Six. seal. This is the one that pre-tribbers don't want to spend a lot of time talking about because uh, the Bible says the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before that great notable day of the Lord come. But uh, it says in verse 12, And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places, and the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man hid themselves in the dens and the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? And obviously... Uh, there are, there's some interesting theories about this from everyone except for pre-tribbers. Okay. Pre-tribbers, they just don't talk about it. If they do talk about it, they will say that this proves that his wrath has already come because they, they, they use that last verse to prove all of this was God's wrath instead of this massive cosmic event that, uh, you know, is a really big deal that's been prophesied since the days of Joel. Uh, yep. You know, he referred to it that, no, this is introducing God's wrath. And whenever we see the day of the Lord, in the, mm -hmm. especially in the Old Testament, it's a reference to God's wrath. It's a day of wrath. It's a day of darkness and, and all of these things. And so the sun being dark and the moon turning to blood, that is what signals God's wrath is come. And the world recognizes that. And so for people to read that last verse and then declare the entire chapter as God's wrath is absolutely ridiculous. And it's eisegesis of the worst <laughs> kind. But again, they have to do this, you know, because of the fact that they've locked themselves into this pre-trip position that's just ridiculous. Or they've locked themselves in, the, in this position that all of the tribulation is God's wrath. No. Jesus said, after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give her light. So, um, yeah. That's what, that's what I was talking about, about the stubbornness. Yes. It's just being stubborn. I mean, you read it, it's right there. I, I don't know how else to explain it. Or That's why I just give up trying to explain to them. Not that I know many of them anyway. But I don't know how else to explain it to them. And if they can see it, I just, I just can't have the conversation because <laughs> I can't keep going back and forth in other Bible verses. But you mentioned uh, day of the Lord. Yeah, the day of the Lord in the Old Testament. Think about it. Israel or Judah, they are being sieged by the enemy. God is warning them and telling them change and change and change. His wrath is not upon them. They are the ones doing this to themselves. Jeremiah is telling them just surrender to Babylon. Surrender to Babylon. They don't want to surrender until it's too late for them. Now the day of the Lord comes, they break in, they kill everybody, everybody's hiding. So now God is fighting using Nebuchadnezzar to attack them. So that is the day of the Lord. But before that, when Babylon was warning them, when they were going through the, uh, the siege and um, the, the tribulations, I'll say, 
that was not that was God trying to change them. So you can say all of that is the wrath of God. It's until the gates open and God's wrath is poured upon them. So that that is the day of the Lord. You know, cosmic events are happening. Very clear signs in the Bible since throughout the Old Testament. Sun will be darkened, moon not give her light. The stars from heaven will fall. There'll be a great earthquake. Jesus will appear in the clouds. You know, it's just right. It's a good day for believers. You know, in Luke chapter 21, it says, and there shall be, Luke 21, 25, it says, and there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. So why are they afraid? They are looking at the wrath of God that is going to come on the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken. So clearly, when it's no more a natural uh, disaster happening. It's now supernatural. Mm -hmm. And then they shall see who are the day, everybody. So Jesus will appear in the clouds. All eyes will see him. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draw it nigh. As when you see these signs, talking to believers, when you see this, look up. That means we've been here throughout, right? We've been here suffering uh, all the tribulations, even the great tribulation. But at this point in the great tribulation, when you see those signs, look up for your redemption right now. So it says that believers are going to go through it. That is the tribulation, the great tribulation. We're going to go through that. So the world will know what is happening. They'll be afraid. Uh, they'll, they'll make us out less maybe aliens, I don't know, but we are actually aliens. We're not of this world. We're just passing through. Then uh, it will be the second coming of Christ, which is the gathering of the saints, the gathering of believers. We call it the rapture, uh, using Bible terminology, the gathering of believers. All believers will be transformed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the Bible says. And the saints in heaven would come down with the Lord and their bodies will be raised from everywhere, whether it's from the dust of the earth, in the sea, They'll be raised and transformed. Then we'll be caught up with them, the Bible says. So that's what I believe will happen uh, in the sixth seal. Yeah, and I agree 100% with what you said, but you lost all the pre-tribbers when you referenced and every eye shall see him. And it's because they have declared in their system that that's Armageddon. And, and because they believe in the secret rapture like in the Left Behind books, like in the Thief in the Night movies. You know, that's what they believe in. And they go to the scriptures looking for verification of what they have already decided is true rather than going to the scriptures to see what is true and what they should believe. But, <laughs> you know, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what we're seeing, uh, we're getting a little more detailed look into what it's going to look like when he comes with clouds and every eye sees him. You know, right. and uh, it is, it's going to be something people see and they're going to realize, Hey, the wrath of God is come. And, and it is, it's uh this is an inconvenient truth, but it's, it's truth. And then uh, when we get into chapter seven and we're kind of running out of time, but I, I do want to okay. take a little bit of time to talk about this because it's just interesting. And so we're not, we won't take the time, I guess, to prove we're right about chapter seven, but we're right about chapter seven. And, uh, and, and I want to say this too. I, I want to say this to uh, my friends on the side of ones who kind of believe these things already had a fulfillment in the first century. Um, 
because there are there's people who believe that the sun dark and moon turned blood that that was symbolic of the fall of israel happened in 70 a.d well here's the thing about that it very well could have been symbolic of that but mm -hmm. i believe we are seeing god continue the same pattern he always has where symbolic things happen i think they're i think they're right you know guys like pastor chuck baldwin you know, he teaches a lot of these things as being fulfilled. And I think he is right on their representation. But I believe, again, uh, there will be a future literal fulfillment of these things. Mm -hmm. And I do. I, uh, I, I, I will agree with probably most of what he preaches about where these things uh, pointed to things in the first century. But I, I'm still not to the point where I'm not looking for a little fulfillment of these things. I do believe the sixth seal is a literal thing uh, with the sun being darkened. I, I think we're going to see something like that. But uh, so I, I, I want to clarify that uh, out there. Again, I think people are right on their symbolism. I just think they're wrong if they deny a literal future fulfillment. And so, uh, but anyway, when we get to chapter seven, you know, you have the 144,000, don't have time to get into them. Right. But then we have in verse nine of Revelation seven, nine, let's get up on the screen. And after this, I beheld in low a great multitude, which no man could number of all nations uh, and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the lamb clothed with white robes and palms were in their hands. Um, okay. First off in chapter six, we saw souls. We saw souls, mm -hmm. not resurrected bodies. We saw the souls, because the rapture had not happened yet. Here, we're seeing people of every nation, kindred, and tongue. How does he know they're from every kindred and tongue and all that? You know why? Because I think, uh, you know, I personally think I'll be white in heaven, and I think you're going to be black, Pastor Obi. That, that's what <laughs> I think. I think I I think we will look. This is my opinion. I believe when we're resurrected, we will look like ourselves, but I believe we will look like us had we never sinned. You know, is, is, is that that's what I personally believe. Um, the uh, the Ruckmanites, they they go crazy, ultra literal when it says we're going to be like Christ. They go as far as teaching we're all going to be 33 year old Jewish men with holes in our hands. <laughs> yes, I have heard Ruckmanites teach that. I think Jesus will be the only one with holes in their hands. I think only Jewish men will look like Jewish men. But I think when it says we're going to be like him, it just means without sin. You know, we're going to have glorified bodies that are like Christ. And so um, I hope I'm a little taller, you know, because like, you know, and, uh, you know, we have that picture of me and you together where you make me look short. You know, I, I don't know if we'll all have equal height in heaven. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> But yeah, we wanted to, you know, we, we talked about speculating a little bit about the new and glorified body. What are some of your thoughts on that? Because I believe we're going to come, come back to the earth and mm -hmm. in the millennial reign, and we're going to have a body like Christ. So uh, what do you think that's going to be like? <laughs> I think of the transfiguration, right? So mm -hmm. Moses and Elijah, they appeared with Jesus Christ. But Jesus was wearing clothes. So they came from heaven. So it's, you can't really tell what they were wearing and stuff. So during the rapture, it's, it will not be secret. It will be visible. What will happen to us? We would transform in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. So our, our, our body will be changed. And uh, we will have, we'll be glowing and we'll have um, 
I would say we'll have white raiment on our clothes. I don't think our clothes will just be on the ground and it's our body that changed. I don't see it that way because the cloth and the flesh, they came from the same thing, the dust of the earth. So all that will just be transformed and our clothes will be glowing. We'll have white raiment and we'll go to heaven. You know, that's what I think because Jesus too, he was wearing his normal clothes. But when they saw him in the transfiguration, he had white raiment on. The Bible says, I think it's in Matthew 17. He had white raiment on. So then our flesh will be the new, the new uh, uh, flesh and bones that Jesus has. So without sin, as you said. So that's what I believe about how we would look. Now, when we come down with Jesus, with, you know, he'll come down with 10,000 of his saints, you know, fight that last battle, Armageddon. And uh, we've been having conversations in church. And uh, th this one guy, he brought this up to me. And I, I think it's plausible. We will come down with him on horses. So we're going to keep those horses, <laughs> right? So we'll have the horses. We'll, we'll be riding the horses. He says the horses will have wings and stuff. I don't know about the wings. Looks like Pegasus or so. But the Horse will be our main mode of transportation. That's what I think. I will be able to go places. The horse could fly because it came down from heaven. Maybe it's a spiritual thing. I don't know how the kingdom will be set up then. But I don't think we'll have cars and, you know, roads and stuff. We'll have the Old Testament laws. Israel will be the headquarters because that land is for Jesus Christ. But we, the saints, will have the white raiment because we're going to believe in for a thousand years. It's not things of this world that would sustain us. That's why we'll go to uh, the headquarters there in Israel when Jesus calls. And we have those horses. I don't know if we'll be teleporting, disappearing, appearing. Uh, I don't exactly know how we'll be eating. I need that will be sustaining us, but we cannot sin. So everlasting righteousness has been brought in as Jesus did. Uh, you know, talking about the Daniel 70th week with his death on the cross. So that everlasting righteousness is being manifested at the point. Uh, what else did I have in mind? I think, I think that's about it. Yeah. Well, that's, that's interesting what you said about the clothes, because I've never really thought about that, but, um, cause yeah, that's a, uh, you know, left behind thief in the night thing with the clothes falling to the ground and all that. But you know, you're right. Jesus, his garments transformed, you yep. know, and, and, sh and shown. And so in, in Daniel 12, one, two, um, well, it's in Daniel 12, three, it says, and they, uh, talking about the resurrection and they, that be wise mm -hmm. shall shine as the brightness of a firmament, which is go. similar to what we see that happened at the transfiguration of Christ. So if, yeah, if he can transform our body, he can transform <laughs> our clothes. That's right. And we will, and we will be clothed, you know? Right, exactly. And, and, yeah. and, and so, yeah, that's interesting. So yeah, I, I think you're probably right. I, we probably won't have the clothes dropping thing taking place. He'll probably just, <laughs> Yeah, because Jesus didn't just change clothes. Because, you know, his clothes probably had some dirt on it and flaws and things like that. But, yep. you know, uh, yeah, he didn't just have the clothes fall and get new ones. So, <laughs> right. And transform back again. But, yeah, you're you're probably right. But, you know, that's just one more thing that's just going to blow the pre-tribber's mind. Because, again, <laughs> they have accepted a theology from books about and movies about the rapture. They've not got their thinking from scripture, but yeah, I guess I've never, th I, I never took the time to think what would happen to our clothes according to the scriptures. I've never even thought about that. So it's, yeah. it's a good point. That's a very good point. Now, do you think you'll be black in the, uh, and the glory, your glorified body? 
<laughs> I think I'll be shining so much you won't be able to see my color. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I don't know. I don't know. But I'm sure my wife will like hairs that she doesn't have to walk too hard to keep. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you know, and even with the shining part too, like, um, I think we will definitely shine uh, at the resurrection when we see Christ and all that. But at the same mm -hmm. time, too, I do think it's probably something that we could kind of turn off if we need to, in, in my opinion, because even Christ mm -hmm. after his resurrection, you know, he wasn't going around shining. And it's, it's one of those things where, um, you know, yeah, we're going to be living and operating on this earth, you know, uh, rule in the world and things like that. So it is going to be. It is, it's one of those things that's interesting to think about. What will it be like for us? And what will it be like for those that we are ruling and reigning over? You know, yeah. how will they see us? How will they think about us? You know, you know, there will be assassination attempts and things like that. You know, <laughs> how's that? How's that going to go down? You know, it's all interesting to think about. Yeah. Yeah. We can speculate so much on that, but. Because there'll be no deception, there'll be no lies, there'll be truth, and people will be flocking for the truth. I think they'll accept us. It's just that their flesh would still want to sin. And mm. that's where we rule with the word of God. And people will still commit adultery and people will still, mm. you know, try attempt murder or even kill people. So then the word of God comes into action. And that's why we rule over those people. And even over ourselves, because mm. you know, we want to be ruling 10 cities. One of those cities will be ruled by another believer. So Every reports to ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what I think then. It's until the devil is released again. Then the lies of, oh, these guys are aliens. These guys are taking over the world. Let's humanity, let's bring humanity back. You know, it's at that end that you have all those lies about who we are. But the truth will be known that we are believers. Mm -hmm. Like we are, we are human beings. We're saved. And this is our new form. You know, they will know that it's the subsequent generations you know there'll be peace all of that subsequent generations when the devil is released the bible doesn't tell us how long it would take for him to deceive the, the whole the, not the whole earth but deceive people again so it could take years that could mm. be another generation before um they start believing lies again mm -hmm. i mean think about it when adam was created he told all his children about god they all believed cain god spoke to him uh, i mean he was having a conversation with god god anyone to kill me now <laughs> if they see me because of this curse and he had to put a mark on Cain. So it's like they were having a clear conversation with God. There's no question that there is a God. There's, mm -hmm. There was no question. But down the years, the devil deceived people to think that there is no God. Think yeah. about it. So uh, he will be released. He will be angry. He has now experienced hell. It's way different from now because he hasn't touched hell yet. So his deception, he had a thousand years to plan his deception. So <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it is. It's all uh, fascinating stuff. It's uh, good conversations to have, but uh, we're, we're about out of time right now. But I appreciate you coming on here. It was, uh, I think it was uh, definitely an interesting conversation and something people need to uh, look into. And uh, yeah, there's the, the post-trib stuff makes so much more sense. It, it really yeah. does. <laughs> A couple of things I wanted to add before mm -hmm. you sign off. I want to talk about the image of the beast, right? Yeah. Think about the image of, because I'm not looking for a temple, to be sincere with you. I believe the temple has been destroyed. There'll be no temple of God. And he's going to set up an image for people to worship. It doesn't necessarily have to be in a temple. 
in Revelation, it talks about a temple being measured, but the people in the temple being measured, but outside the temple is for the Gentiles. If you look at how the temple is set up, those in the temple, yeah, they sanctify the holy, the clean. Outside the temple, you have the court of the men, the women, the Gentiles, and, um, you know, courts of different people. And those are not the sanctified and the clean. So it can be symbolical. It's not saying that there will be a physical temple. It, but it, it can be symbolical, like, oh, the ones inside the temple, you know, those are the sanctified. But outside the temple is left for the, um, the unclean people, basically. So I see that more of a spiritual symbolism than a physical temple being built. Uh, so it can just be a holy place or a, a sacred place, maybe the mount. What's that, that mount called in Israel? That the temple mount. Yeah, <laughs> uh, the Temple Mount that he might set up an image. And think, I don't know, you can look this up. Uh, viewers can look this up. Uh, it is called the Giant. There's an image right now that could move. You could put the picture of somebody. I mean, you can look it up as I'm talking to you. It's called the Giant. You could, you could put the uh, picture of somebody, the simulation of somebody, and his hands can move, his head can move, he can talk, all of that. So this Giant is 100 feet tall. They are making it has LED screens all over, and they want to put it in 21 cities in America. So you could put anybody's image on there, and the whole city will look at that image and mm. glorify the image. So you're having things that show the image of the beast, and people will be able to see it from everywhere. So you could put one in the Temple Mount, one in every major city, and everyone has to worship the beast, right? 100 feet tall. They're already building this. It costs like $19 million or so. And then the no-hide laws will come into effect where everybody has to worship the Jews, follow the Jews. The president, every president of America signs the no-hide laws, signs it on. It is not in effect yet, but I believe during the Great Tribulation, the no-hide laws will come into effect. And those people that take the mark of the beast, they, they will not be equal with the Jews. They will be servants of the Jews, basically. Because the, when I say the Jews, I'm talking about the, the main religion that is going to be set up. So the Jews will have all this, uh, uh, the no-hide laws. You can look that up too. I don't have time to go into that. Then you have the false prophet preaching and pushing people. So when you have one false prophet, tells you his one religion there uh, with all his minions also. So that's what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for a temple. I'm looking for the image of the beast. I'm looking for uh, the Antichrist, people's uh, false prophet saying, worship this guy, one world religion, one world economy. After I see that, uh, I would know that the events that just passed, the world wars, the famine, that is the real deal. So uh, I'm not looking for a temple, basically. I'm mm. looking for the image. Yeah, that's interesting because, um, yeah, I do think that we need to be way open to more possibilities of how that's all going to play out than just the classical uh, temple situation because it's not looking like we're very close to a temple. We're not, yeah. okay? The, the, we're, we're not close to a temple. Uh, but these other things you're describing, yeah, I mean, those things are readily available for sure. And <laughs> I, I think more than likely it'll be something like that. But technology's changing so fast too. You know, the, in, in 10, 20 years, you know, we could be talking about something else that we haven't found out about yet. It's, it's scary how technology is progressing, how fast. And when the Bible says the mark of the beast in their forehand, in their hand, sorry, or in their forehead, in doesn't necessarily only mean like inside mm -hmm. because it could be on because think about it jesus went in the mount of uh, mm -hmm. uh, to preach he went in the mount but did he go into a cave to preach no 
He was preaching right. on the mount. But the Bible says in the mount. So in means on the thing, mm -hmm. right? Because the thing is not exactly like smooth and, you know, so it could be partly inside the mount. Like, you know, the mount is not like smooth. So the Bible mm -hmm. says in because he's in the crevices of the mount. So in could be on also. So I believe mark of the beast could be actually a mark on the person. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't yeah. necessarily mean that it has to be in the person. And it says mark, name, or number. Mm -hmm. So it could be an actual mark, could be a name, maybe in the authority of something or a number. So I don't know how those are separated. Could all mean the same thing, but that's just... Be careful what you're looking for. Don't just be narrow-minded and say, mm -hmm. okay, I'm just looking for 666. If not, then that's it. You just have to be careful and continue to search and see as, as time draws close, closer and closer. And that's the thing, we're preparing people for this. Right. You know, we're preparing them to go through tribulation. We are going through tribulation right now, like they're soul winning. Uh, we're preparing them for, for uh, the, the, the post-trib, pre-wrath um, stand that we have, or rapture, I should say, mm -hmm. is preparing people to, uh, to see the signs and to be awake and to be watchful. Right. So, yeah, we're against the mark and anything that leads up to it, you know, and so just because yep. the jab wasn't the mark of the beast, well, you know what, we shouldn't support something that's given them the power to do that, you know, saying, I'm going to say no to all the things leading up to it. Now, I'm yep. not just going to wait for the big one, you know, so yeah, no matter what it is, but yeah, well, any other final thoughts before we officially sign out? All right. Um, I'll say thank you so much uh, for this podcast. Thank you for bringing me on here. Um, I've been exposed to a lot of views. I've learned a lot. I've challenged myself. I had to study a lot too. And I hope he's doing the same for all the folks out there listening to this. Uh, given my background, I'm lucky to have not been into any of these false doctrines. But um, I'll say read your Bible and don't read your Bible with preconceived ideas, right? Just read your Bible several times before, before studying it so that you can understand the whole counsel, the, how God speaks, because prophecy is a different way. So you're, you see how God speaks and you, you know the voice of your father. Uh, in the meantime, readily receive what your pastor is preaching, right? Readily receive it because it's your pastor, you trust him, but read your Bible yourself. Now the pre-trib uh, makes you unprepared for the tribulation that is coming our way. We will have tribulation in this world. So trying to prove the pre-trib or force the pre-trib doctrine leads to heresy. So when a pastor is trying to do that, you see him, you know, jumping hooves and just trying to force a square peg into a round hole. So, and dispensationalism, and then Zionism, that's kind of heresy you're, you're getting into. Uh, hopefully, um, pastors that preach pre-trib don't fall into that. But yeah, uh, thank you for bringing me on here. I'm glad to share my views. All right. Well, yeah, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, a lot of really good stuff. And yeah, just remember everybody out there, I am I do not have all the answers. I don't know everything when it comes to this, but uh, I'm okay with being challenged. I have my opinions. I have my beliefs. Uh, but I do. I enjoy talking about these things very much. I think there's a lot of good conversations that we need to have. As me and Pastor Obi discussed, even things with the millennium, there's a lot we don't know. But we ought to be able to talk about it and uh, even have maybe some slightly different opinions on some of these things. But either way, at the end of the day, one thing we do know, pre-trib, uh, pre dispensationalism, Zionism is wrong for sure. And uh, while we might not be 100% <laughs> correct on every little detail, those other ones are way off. And Pastor Obi, 
uh, basically took one more thing away from the pre-tribbers today, and that's the falling clothes uh, doctrine, to, uh, falling clothes to the ground doctrine. I think I, I, I got to come up with a better name than that. But I, I think I'm with you on that. I think the I think the clothes get transformed too. I'm taking that position and uh, just use it as one more thing to just annoy the fire out of these left behind reading thief in the night watching pre-tribulationists so anyway i hope everybody got a blessing from this program and we will see you all next time god bless